0: Hey, I'm Dr. Kate Wong, and I'm Tiara Mitchell, and And you are listening listening to the Holistic Holistic Hope Podcast. We invite you to join us and our village in conversations rooted in wellness and health so that we may grow a community of generational
1: healing through love. In this episode, Episode 7 of the Holistic Hope Podcast Join Kate and I as we recap our biggest takeaways from our previous discussion with public speaker and voice coach Christine Meninskis of Rocket Out Woman, going deeper into the amazing effects of combating your fears while walking in your own power and ways to utilize support from your loved ones along your journey. Be sure to join in the conversations with us on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. That's
0: I love what... that part though when she's talked about how healing it was, because when when she mentioned that she had so much stress happening from literally from birth, all the way through, and that it almost like ate away, the it had like it had like all these different seeds of like, okay, this is not right, this is not right, this is not right, because unless you had those seeds, you won't be at the end where where she's at, saying no, like how powerful she was in regards to her birth, in regards to her, you know, diagnoses, all these different things, if those things weren't in line of those seeds that she had that was going on with her, that she noticed that no one helped her, that's kind of sh- what shaped her into that, which I found so powerful.
1: Yeah, yeah, especially especially how it started with pre-cancer in her esophagus, like, and thinking of how powerful of an empowerment speaker she is for women because and what I really loved how you just pointed out was not only was the beginning of her life centered around stress which led up to those moments but then what she described her mom went through Mm -hmm. you know and carrying her and Christine pretty much you know how I'm looking at it she stopped that cycle of stress being passed along and you know and she even said me and my children have good relationships you know like there's no craziness going on over here we're all pretty healthy and it's like that decision to walk in her power carry on to so many other aspects of her life and now she's passing it on to other women who's also passing it on to their children yeah that was awesome
0: yeah, because it could have continued. Like the, it could have
1: continued.
0: Because the mainstream only has what they they pinpoint out of control. Because when um, we're talking about labor, talking about birth, the reason why there's so many C sections is they control what's going on, and it's you know one of those things. It's a procedure to do to you know for your job, and so to do that, you're you're literally doing what you need to do as a surgery. What they're trained to do. And so it's not saying it's bad or, you know, anything like that, but that's what is pushing more towards. But the thing is people are breaking up and realizing that, you know, you don't need that, you know, there's all these like benefits of not having it. Like the, where she talked about the ki- uh, birth canal, how it kind of does that literally the birth canal, I don't know if we mentioned in a different episode, but basically the birth canal, that contraction on the head that's interacting with the baby and the mom through that, it's like kind of saying, wake up wake up, and then it's happening, it's coming, it's kind of like putting this uh, sacral kind of wake-up call. It's like, this is happening, kind of, they're moving. And then once it, I don't know if you ever felt it, but when um, basically the baby kind of comes out, it's almost like a, like a pop. Pop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's <laughs> <like the, laughs> right? It's like that pop saying, okay, now everything like, starts. It's like the start button mm-hmm. for the baby. And so, a lot of times when you're literally doing the C-section, you know, you don't have that because you literally get cut. You like put someone else is coming into your womb where it's protected and nothing came in at all because it was the baby's space. And so, when someone comes in, cuts in, puts a hand in and opens it, that that imp, that trauma or that that uh, foreign object is stressful as well. And then it's like, wait, what? Like, what is this? What is this light? What is this happening? Like. That's why a lot of times mm-hmm. you see the baby like not moving much because they don't know what what, what really went on. It's just kind of got opened,
1: <laughs> and that's why they they're saying they're starting to realize how more beneficial water births are
2: mm-hmm.
1: because of that that transition. When they come into the world, they're in the water, which is really similar to what they've been experiencing. They have mom wrapped, you know, mom and dad are there. And then they're slowly getting pulled into this new space and they immediately, like they never lose that connection with mom as they're coming into this, this new environment. And there, I should probably research them so we can have them for these conversations. But I know I've read studies that have (laughs) been showing the, how less stressful it is on the babies. And I think I told you about that Netflix show. I think it's called babies. Mm-hmm. where they study stress in children and what happens things that happen in er- the early months, even days of newborns. And um, they are seeing that when kids are, kids are supported in their, sh- what would be a stressful environment as a newborn, they grow up to be a lot healthier, mm-hmm. like able to adapt to stress better and like with less health challenges and things like that. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was cool to hear her talk about too, because it's like another story to support that.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, because
0: like knowing that you there's something that it's like a success story already from your mom, from like other people that you know you can work. Because like I mentioned, I keep mentioning this when I was little, when the whole parasite thing where I don't want to have kids. It's like because it's scary and you, they make it on TV, like it's this horrible thing that's happening, they're screaming and yelling, and it's like, yeah, you know, I mean, you're like, oh my gosh, why don't I ever want to go through that with my body, <laughs> you know, who, who, in the world wants that, versus like, you know, what you see now on Instagram or on different things, it's like there's a video of, of a picture, a photography of that birth, they're breathing, you know, that, that face, and then once, you know, the baby comes out, like the mother, mother in the, um, the baby connection is just like you can't describe it. It's like that connection—you you can see it. Yeah. There.
1: Yeah. Beautiful that story. that's a real good point because, as a mom who's gone through that, I, there is something about that. There, like I was saying when we were talking to Christine, when, the, when I was panicking because I didn't recognize that that was the ring of fire, and um. The nurse told me, you know, and she said, she said, this is the ring of fire. You just one good push and you're going to meet your baby. And that like knowing, oh, she's here. Like when I say all the panic melted and it was just like, I just want to get my baby here. Like, I didn't care that they were trying to lay me down. I literally was like, if y'all, if I'm going to lay down, you're going to lay me down because all I want to do is get my baby on my chest. Mm-hmm. And it was, I was so driven by that. and. I didn't get that experience, with my first baby, Madeline, because she had swallowed meconium, her heart rate had been, dro- like, we were so close to an emergency C-section. Mm-hmm. So they kind of pulled her away for a while. And I, even the difference in that of like, once Michaela II was put on my chest and it was like the, like, she went from my vagina to my chest, just like that. Like, mm-hmm. I, I scooped her up onto my chest like this. And to be able to, they didn't take her from me. They wiped her down while she was on me. And I got to like snuggle and she smelled like something I had always known kind of thing. And it was just like this instant, nothing else mattered. Like I remember laying there, they're cleaning me up and everything. And I didn't care. I was like, I have my baby. And that, that's something that like I even talk about. Honestly, I will go through pregnancy and labor just to have that one feeling like, (laughs) Whenever I think about having a third baby, I'm like, I just want to have that feeling of that singular moment of my baby is here now. Here's my baby. And it's such a small window. And so like whenever you talk about, that's why I'm really excited to get to birth imprinting. Because whenever you talk about how, like even just now listening to you talking about how in the C-section and they intrude on that. And it's kind of like it's understood already. I would even say for the baby because with Michaela, she screamed at me when she was first born, she started screaming at me and I knew she wanted to feed, you know, it was just kind of instinctual. So I put her on my breast, and she struggled. And during that time, I don't know. I also don't know how to explain it. It was like a communication thing. Like I knew, oh baby, you can't figure this out. Let mommy help you. Let mommy, let mommy show you how to do it. This is what we're doing right here. Mm -hmm. And when she was able to latch on again, it was that relief. Like, and I, I felt it in her, I felt it in me. And so when you talk about like that intrusion, I could, I could understand that because it's like, Your body just kind of knows, like it's anticipating it. It's anticipating to be able to have these moments with your child. And even when I've listened to other moms describe their cesareans or if they've had to be induced or like really traumatic births, they all say, I just, I miss that moment of being able to bond in the very beginning, like the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And there's something about it that, and like uh, uh, stick to my point, because there's something about it where feel like it's undeniable that that is a really big key in jump-starting your life you know on the right path Mm -hmm. like when children and moms don't get not only get that relationship but a child doesn't get that security you know that was something else Christine said that I would actually be interested to hear more about her saying that she never had that real secure feeling or that safety feeling kind of growing up, I wonder if it had anything to do with what her entrance into this world was like.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it was traumatic. And the way at least she described it, it was stressful.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, yeah, that's one of on the imprints as well. It's like when you have such a traumatic, stressful event that happened, like literally in the beginning, you're trying to continue finding that
1: safety. hmm And so... so yeah, That makes, I want to read it because it it makes so much sense when you think about the feelings you have during pregnancy. And like, I can tell someone's pregnant by the way they walk because what, seriously, what moms tend to do, and it's like a subconscious thing, princess, I don't know which princess, but one of the princesses who just had her babies like a few years ago, Mm -hmm. they would talk about her always holding her belly even though she didn't really have a big bump and, you know, they kind of gave her a hard time about like, what is she protecting? Mm -hmm. But it's a real instinctual thing. Like, I know for me, it was like, my baby's here. My baby's safe. We're okay. You know, or hi baby. Mom's here. Just want to say hi to you. Hey, thinking about you, you know, like it's a, it's a communication. It's already a bonding thing even while they're growing. Mm -hmm. And so you can, and you can see it like, that's how I meet a lot of new clients because when I see that subtle rub to the belly and there really is no belly, I'm like, you're pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> you're talking to your child right now. I see you. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I could imagine I can only, cause we don't have all the science to back it up. And I feel like we're getting so close, but to be able to see like the exact, energy that you know energy waves or however we can measure it that is happening I would I'm ready to look at those
0: yeah I think because like the the pregnancy aspect of it is so sacred that Mm. you know in general what pregnant mom would ever want to put themselves in experiment for you to test her right or drug-wise to test but that's what is no drug, no um vaccine, nothing that's actually like experimented on a pregnant woman, yet they say it's safe for mm. pregnant women. Like nothing was ever tested for them, like on them, to mm. prove that. It was just
1: they were just done. To no them. woman's gonna agree. Yeah. <laughs> no woman's gonna agree to that. Yeah, like, that's why, point.
0: why would that even happen? Like, you know, you're so you're protecting your baby, you know? Yep. <laughs> Like, what's well, the last thing you want to do. It's like, unless you actually need it. But then in the whole aspect of, you know, t- other people telling you what you need versus you knowing what you need and realizing and having that for information of what you know that you should need in certain times.
1: Right? Right. And that was something else Christine talked about that I really liked, calling on your tribe's voices. Mm-hmm. Today was the first time I think I had heard I've been hearing people say that like calling your tribe. That's something that's been said to me a lot recently. And I understood it as, you know, calling your tribe for support. But when she said, use the voices of your tribe, it was like a, ah, like the, we're stronger together kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Because in that moment of vulnerability and when you're trying to um, protect, you know, and nurture, you have all these doubts going through your head. You know, like, what if I'm overreacting? What if I have no idea what I'm talking about? You know, and I'm just making the situation worse. What if I don't say anything and I should have said something? You know, so when we have those voices to call on, it's coming from a trusted place, someone we already trust to have our best interest. So when we're able to repeat what they have told us or what they've experienced, it does come from a place of power because you're like my tribe who I trust with my life told me that this is what should happen. What is going on right now? Cause this is not what my trusted people have told me, mm-hmm. you know? And
2: like
0: two different places, right? It's like voices in your head could be voices from what other people have said. And then somehow you think it's, in your, it's your own voice like when she mentioned that, and then it's a voice of, you know, either it's your tribe of your people that support you or inside your own tribe. It's like, that's a voice of like security. That's a voice of love. That's a voice of making sure everything's okay. Cause you know, you never know. So you need a kind of double, triple check. So yeah. You feel that safety, but the other side of like other people saying what's going on, they don't know what's going on in general. And then they have their fear. Like usually what other people say is tends to be on the fear side of like, you know, um, is this ha- really happening? Is this is this gonna happen? And that's like the, the fear coming in. Is it is it gonna happen? It's like you know, I don't think you can. Therefore, you know, you should use this drug, use this, you know, whatever it is that you need. And so it's like two different spectrums of that.
1: Hmm. Yeah. And let me get my notes back because there was something else she said that that intuition because you know that you know the saying that your first thought is the one you should go with. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's that's kind of what she was saying in her interview. Um, when she was saying moms, you know, especially as a new parent, it's hard to trust that intuition. Usually your first thought is what comes through, but then that fear comes in and you start questioning everything. And so something I thought that was really powerful to take away from that in terms of being able to trust your intuition, to trust that you surrounded yourself with a tribe that will guide you um, in love and support you in the pregnancy, the parenting that you're after, you're desiring is, I think, something she said that was so powerful about being able to trust that intuition, trust those voices, is making decisions that are supported in your wellness mm-hmm. that are aren't aligned with fear of like trying to necessarily prevent anything more so that are aligned with caring for yourself in the best way possible. You can only do your best. That was something I really loved about listening to her was she had a theme of as long as you're doing what's what feels like it's good for you, you're doing the right thing. Like Keep doing that until someone tells you otherwise, until you find out that no, there's actually a better way, you know, that as long as we're making these decisions not rooted in fear, not rooted in I have to get ahead of this before it gets ahead of me, kind of thing. But just observing what's happening now and doing the best we can in that moment.
2: Because mm-hmm.
1: it's like a skill. It's not <laughs> something
0: that you're like, oh yeah, you know, ten year old <laughs> self. You're like, yeah, this is good for me. Because who doesn't want this? <laughs> you know, it's like a skill of you know growing, struggling through certain things, and then it's like, oh. So, all the stuff that I've been through, yes, it didn't work. Yes, it did work. And then it's that skill of like, it's not just the like gut, it's like deeper than the gut, more like the sacral, like, like bottom almost foundation of like this. Yeah.
2: Right? It's
0: like, it's like so much deeper than the gut feeling. And so. That's why I found so powerful. It's like it's not like one of those. You we know, have to talk
1: about chakra <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
0: People we should actually. To,
1: you're going to this
0: in a future future podcast, and you're the chakra aspect to it. But yeah, because like
1: the, the how you said sense. right, how you said it's deeper than the gut and it's sacral. There's the sacral chakra,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the sacral chakra is in our reproductive organs Mm -hmm. it's around our reproductive organs and it's right above our root chakra the first chakra Mm -hmm. when your root chakra is pretty much everything survival um and then right next is the sacral and then right above that is the solar plexus which is like your confidence your courage to do what your root chakra and your sacral chakra are telling you This is what we need to do for our survival and well-being. That makes sense. But you have to have the courage, get this, you have to have the courage to do it. Your heart chakra comes next, which is the love to be able to tap into that power so that you can express it with your voice and make it happen.
0: Yeah, I think that's why her theme is so like compelling because it just goes through so well.
1: And, oh, yeah, I could have, I could have talked to her all
2: day. You <laughs> should
0: hear her sing on Facebook. She's awesome.
1: <laughs> I, I think I would have to look more into the Bradley method, but the, two, the three points, like if I were to only take away three really key points from this, mm-hmm. it would be, we kind of already touched on it, being rooted in wellness, um, because she did talk about, about like your diet, your stress management, and then taking action on those things. You you have to already be committed to doing what's best for you in order to take the action. You can do all the research, talk to everybody, you know, even tune into yourself to, to get a feeling for what's right. But at some point you have to take action. And I do think that's a lot of place where I can speak from. Experience. This is the wrong action. Um, so I loved how she talked about that. And the sharing information, once you just learned it, once you learned it, that's point number two for me, like mm. a really strong takeaway. And we're having in the conversation, like you said, seeing photos on Instagram, now birth is being portrayed as the beautiful experience that it is, you know, and not the... I'm bringing this monster into the world and my life is about to be turned upside down. You know, that was a lot of things people told me about becoming a mom early was that my life was ruined. Mm. And for the life of me, I couldn't understand that. Like, I understood that they were trying to say things were, would be hard, you know? But I mean, life is hard when you're 30 and have a kid. No one is truly prepared <laughs> to have a, you know, that's a brand new experience and you're caring for a human being. It's probably something you've never really done before, Mm -hmm. especially to that capacity. But had I not been in all the mom groups and things I was in, so I like how she said the underground railroad, (laughs) had I not been in all those mom groups, I really may have lost my mind. I I really Mm -hmm. may have gone into a dark place of not thinking I was capable of caring for my child Mm -hmm. and not to boast, I feel like I'm doing a damn good job raising those girls you know sure but i wouldn't have had that confidence without having people willing to share the information with me that i was able to get
0: yeah and then, going to that part it's like i was watching some um some movie recently that was just on one of those you know channels but um to so the part is like if you fall mainstream thinking you can't you can't you can't and then thinking what, how other people fix me, how other people fix me. Mm-hmm. And then when you do have a child and then it's like, well, can I do it? Am I good enough? You know, all these different things. Then when you talked about you doubt yourself, all these different things, if you go further into that, that's when it's like when people literally doubt themselves in every single part of their lives in their finance in their home and their work, all these different things that makes a person in like literally inoperable to like, function move they're, being. they're frozen in you know? fear yeah they're frozen and, in fear uh-huh. and how they take care of their kids if they have no money no no time all these different things right hence the whole growing of foster care whole growing of like all these different things that you know they just kind of like give their babies away basically and it's like society has been putting so much on that of the fear of the certain things that you can't do certain things kind of makes me so like mad about that it's like, and then you see all these different abuse because the people are just like manipulating the system to like for their own gains because they don't, they all in the present moment, they don't know how to think of past and future because they don't, they don't know what else to do because like you, the past was bad. The future can be worse. Like what is like right now, fulfill my need. That, that need was never met in the sake, the root version of it. it is mm-hmm. never met. The root. Mm-hmm. capture whatever is nearby. And so there's so many, I don't know if there's a reason for it, but I feel like there's so many pedophilia aspects of it, to it because they were not fulfilled. So how do they find the fulfillment? By reaching out for the, when they were children. the easiest target, the easiest people, the most vulnerable, because that's who will come to you, right? For answers, for love, because mm-hmm. you have love to give, but you don't know how to receive it properly towards where it's a functional part of society where she, you know be productive about it. So that's why I uh, know that's why I wanted to work with foster student kids in general before it's just like there's so much broken systems.
1: And I love how just now I think you said it amazingly because what you said was society's always telling us what we can't do, what we can't do, what we can't do. And really it's just a simple shift of you can Sure, it may be a little tougher because it's not a path that's most often traveled, so you know you may come up with some challenges that we're we're not totally prepared for, but you can, and here are the tools to help you navigate it along the way like I think it's so interesting that that is not the message we have for each other as a society as a as a community most times you know in smaller communities, you do get that kind of language and support but in the bigger umbrella it's like you said it's usually what you can't do what you can't do what your limitations are what your restrictions are it's constantly giving the mindset of scarcity and inadequacy when really we should be empowering each other for all the things we can do and then to be that support and say and what you can't do i can help with Mm -hmm. you know
0: yeah and that's the base of like health right? Whatever it is right now that we're recording, it's like all this stuff saying you can't go out. You can't like not wear a mask. You can't do this thinking, okay, your body's not capable to do anything because you're a weak, feeble, like elderly person who can't, you know, defend themselves because you're so weak, right? All these different things are babies are in the aspect. You're so weak, but your body is capable. You just have to have, know that foundation,
1: mm-hmm. support it, what it needs in order to do what it needs to do. And that was the last point I really loved about her, her talking. She she said a lot about how support is key, but she said, you also need to go and get the education for yourself. You can't wait for your support to do it for you. They will be there for you, but you have to get the education for yourself. So you, you at least have a, you have, have to be comfortable enough to attempt to implement on your own Mm -hmm. you know and usually when we are uncomfortable with new situations educating ourselves with either shared experiences of other people reading a book going on youtube listening to podcasts like this it gives us the confidence to do it on our own you know like we were watching my sister loves watching these like romantic christmas movies we watch them year-round i swear yeah, to God. I know. <laughs> and so have you seen um the night the night before christmas mm-hmm. and they're in that movie the knight was chopping down a christmas tree and there was a man you know who wasn't a knight who had been trying to chop down his tree and the knight just walked up and took his axe and whew, knocked it down in one swift, just one swift And the guy said, hmm, if he can do it, I can do it. And he took his ax and he just, whoosh, tree fell down. He had been chopping like the whole scene, he had been chopping in the background. And when he saw the knight do it, he was like, if he can do it, I can do it. And that is where I think getting the education from yourself and finding the support is where the power is because then it gives you that confidence. Oh, if they did it, I can do it. Cause I know for me, I didn't want the epidural, not because I wanted to be like, oh, I'm a powerful woman who can have natural birth." No, I was terrified of a needle, terrified <laughs> of a needle going in my back. I was terrified of the fact that I had to stay still. I had heard my friends talk about all the aftermath of their epidurals. And I was like, mm, I don't know how I feel about this. This scares me. I'm going to try to do it without the epidural. Yes, I was afraid of the pain that would come, but. I dove really deep into natural pain management and how women, when we didn't have hospitals to birth, how they would like. I started reading all these random Google things about that because I had to build my confidence of our bodies. And that was my mantra my body is made to do this. My body is made to do this. My body will know what to do. And so, from experience, I went into that hospital terrified. I didn't even know I had been in labor. Like, that's how unfamiliar. Everything was to me. I didn't know I had been in labor. I thought I was having Braxton Hicks contractions. I had been contracting for a while, you know? (laughs) And so when that man, when that woman told me I wasn't going to make it real quick, all of that went away because in my head, she was the expert and she's here telling me it's not going to make it. And if I hadn't had the support of my husband and my mom, who I had been telling my whole pregnancy, I have, you guys can't let me get that epidural. Please don't let me get that epidural. I, I don't think I could really go through with getting an epidural, but I know that I may get scared enough to where I cave. And so when they saw the panic, cause I definitely panicked, like, <laughs> and um, I remember my husband, the first thing he came to me, he, he started saying my mantras to me. Your body was made to do this. You will get through this. And my mom, get the hell out the room. Like that was her thing, you know, like let her labor, don't Mm -hmm. scare her. So yeah, just that. I so connected with all that stuff that she said in regards to your tribe and your support and empowering yourself because when it comes down to the wire, you may forget, you know, all the training you kind of did before Mm -hmm. you came to the moment. Yeah, because the fear is very convincing. (laughs) The fear... The fear yeah. is very convincing. It's real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm telling you with Michaela, sorry, with Michaela, I thought I was dying. I thought I was dying. And I, I said it to my nurse. I was like, am I dying? And she was like, no, you're in labor. I said, no, no, no. But she don't understand. Something feels wrong. This is before the ring of fire. But and with Michaela though, my second, her labor happened so much faster than my first. Because because my first was sunny side up, it slowed everything down because she couldn't really go through the canal the the way she should have. And but with Michaela, she that baby was in position. Like I went to the doctor the day on my due date. She told me she couldn't get a pinky into my cervix because I was not dilated at all. That was at 10 a.m. I get to the parking lot at 1045 AM, start having contractions. I had Michaela at midnight. Like, that's how fast everything changed. I went from zero dilation to I had my baby at midnight. Mm. And so with the changes happening so fast, the pain was a lot more intense. And I didn't do fentanyl. I did fentanyl the first time. I didn't do fentanyl with Michaela. Um, and that was more of a, what can my body handle? Like, I did want to see how far I could push the limits of my body.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: um, so I did a lot of squatting through. but for pain management just in case people need that tip like squatting through the contractions is amazing but um because things are happening so fast and my body was changing so fast that wasn't normal that didn't feel normal to me that didn't feel right so i literally thought i was like being ripped open and was gonna die Mm -hmm. because you didn't know i didn't know i didn't know but the minute that late that nurse told me oh this is normal i could feel everything like okay Let's just keep having the baby. And it's like, I think of my closer whenever I say surrendering. I had to surrender to that pain. Like, seriously. I remember telling myself both pregnancies, it's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt anyway. Just let it hurt. You'll be okay. And just breathe. And when I did that, like, yeah, the contractions came, but like I fell asleep with my first baby. And they were telling me. They showed me on my contraction chart, my contractions were going off the charts and they had come up to me and asked me, are you sure you don't want to epidural? Cause from looking at this, you should be in a lot of pain. They were like, you're not getting breaks in between your contractions. And when they compared it to like, cause you can see all the other women who were in the labor room or the, that floor. Yeah. Compared to theirs, mine were like, whoosh, whoosh. they would get these long gaps of breaks. Mine was like barely a gap in between. but. I told myself it's gonna hurt and I'll be okay, and I was fine. Mm-hmm. I was totally fine. Yeah, imagine like all the other
0: people that were on on the on the floors. Like it's gonna hurt and it's not okay.
1: Like exactly <laughs> that shift, that small shift. Because then you're you're resisting something that's inevitable. And again, like I keep thinking, Makosi, you're just bringing yourself suffering. Because you can't control, you cannot control that pain. Like people will tell you when they get an epidural, like, yeah, my body got numb, but I still felt everything that was happening. You know, like mm, I don't know if the epidural is really worth it. Because it's even how you can explain what your cervix is doing, what your pelvis is doing, like it's intense. That that's Yeah, scary. logically so you should you should be <laughs> in a lot of pain. Like, <laughs> it should <laughs> hurt. <laughs> <laughs> And so, yeah, that's what I loved about talking to her, which you could tell she had the mindset of, there's nothing to run from, we're gonna embrace all of it and we're gonna do the best we can in this moment. And I feel like that is the key, even when it comes to parenting. I have really difficult, (sighs) Madeline had her first breakdown about being on lockdown the other day. And I couldn't, it didn't register to me, I was like, oh, this baby's having cabin fever didn't really register me at first Uh until I started thinking about how odd it was you know like when I started really thinking about it and so it was difficult to manage because Madeline never breaks down she's my call her my golden child like (laughs) she's yes mommy okay mommy oh I'm sorry mommy and um in that moment I remember I just got on the couch with her and I let her cry and I I didn't know what was going on, but I was like yelling at her isn't going to help. Mm-hmm. She she keeps telling me, she kept telling me, because I, I was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just stressed out. I'm just stressed out. So we just got on the couch and I was like, well, mommy will hold you while you cry. If you're going through this, mommy, mommy's here for you. And the next day she said, I felt really better. I think I just needed to cry.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So just the surrender, just the surrender of allowing, you know, like, Sometimes we have to sit in the discomfort to get to, to get the, not the cure, but the healing.
0: Yeah. If I can share a little bit about, like, my past, now that you're talking about the couch. So (laughs) during the time when my parents in that divorce moment, um, and I remembered everything, we're on the couch. Uh, My mom, like, knew something was going on with my dad, all these different things. My, My sister was four. I was about five. And then my mom was basically saying, like, I don't want you, I don't, like, from kind of going back to that, like, moment, being in her shoes, she Mm -hmm. was really into, she does not want a divorce, she does not want to be alone, she does, you know, all these different things are what she did not want to do, versus you know, I'm just putting myself in her shoes. I have no idea what she's thinking, obviously. <laughs> but like that she's in that resistance mode where she mm. can really say anything to anyone, even a five-year-old kid who's crying because I look like my my dad at that moment and like literally like, imprint. <laughs> on my little. Um, and she was projecting it onto me, basically saying, I don't want you. Mm-hmm. And so, and like that aspect of, Resisting and not surrendering, like trying to figure out what's going on to heal, like she did not even want to heal at all at the moment. It was more like how do like how do I make sure I'm okay? I just want my thing, I just want to stop quit, this, stop this, I just want a baby that looks like me, you know, and so like that aspect is like when you're resisting so much, it creates so much other things for other people that you don't even know it like it interferes with them for the rest of their lives, yeah. And so I find that so interesting that when we resist so much, it's not resisting just for yourself. It's resisting for everyone else around you because you affect everyone else that
1: you touch in your yeah. life. We're all connected. And that's like, it's one of the things why I like doing things like this, having conversations, meeting with people, sharing experiences. I'm always open book type of person, like always, because... I believe we can learn so much just from shared experiences. I, I truly do. And there are times where I will take what, please don't get mad at me when I say this, but <laughs> I, I will take what a majority of moms are telling me in a forum, like advice over the pediatrician's advice, mm-hmm. because, yeah. because the- I'm like, if all of them are saying this, mm-hmm. there has to be, there has to be something. You there's know, there's some truth to it, yeah. There's some truth to it, and mm-hmm. I mean, not every single time, but when it's like that strong, I will. And um, I, I really feel that when we're afraid to open up and share about those kind of things, we're holding on to other people's blessings, like we're holding on to maybe the healing someone else needs to get through the next phase of their life. Like, for example, what if a woman hears this podcast and she was getting ready to sign that paper saying she was going to have a scheduled C-section because they said, if you don't have your baby by your 40th week, we're going to go in, you know, cut you open. And then she realizes, huh, it's completely normal for babies to go to 42 weeks. And then if I get monitored, I can even go into 44 weeks, you know? Mm-hmm. And it totally changed the trajectory of her and her baby's life because now they don't have that traumatic imprint because that baby just wanted to bake a little longer. And that concludes this week's episode of the Holistic Hope podcast. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the episode. We would like to invite you to continue the conversation with us online. Check the show notes to see where you can connect with Dr. Kate, myself, our guests, and the rest of the Holistic Hope community to dive deeper into ways we can create generational healing through love. See you next week, and until then, stay well, friends.